0: We thought they were. And we let them up. Well, I get out of hand, just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west Lake right, tight. That's left. 372 wide sticks. The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football.
1: Thank you, Jerry. The great, the late, great Jerry Clower. You hear it every day as we start the show. And that's what's happening right now, starting the show. Day three of SEC Media Days here in Hoover, Alabama. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. All the coverage this week brought to you by High Point Roasters Coffee in New Albany, the oldest coffee roaster in Mississippi. Dan the Coffee Man and the folks, they kept me uh, stocked up. I packed some in my suitcase, got up, made it in the hotel room this morning, and then realized I was late for an interview on Radio Row and then got to finish it a few minutes later. But y'all hit them up, highpointroasters.com. I'm going to start you off. No delay on content. Somebody that I, would, I really want you to hear from right now, sitting across uh, the table here live on Radio Row in Hoover, Steve Shaw, the coordinator of officials for the Southeastern Conference. When's the last time you heard a sound clip, Steve, from Jerry Clower?
2: It's been a while. It's been a while. But, hey, they're always great. They're always great, especially if he's talking about football.
1: Yeah. You know, he has that great uh, football bit. He played at Mississippi State. I don't know if you knew that. I did.
2: Somebody had mentioned I didn't know it was at Mississippi State. I knew he had played in college, so uh, that even makes it better.
1: Yeah, he had that that story that he told uh, about an Alabama running back that was so slippery. He said he hit him and squeezed him to tackle him, and he squirted loose like a watermelon seed. He said, and he was on the ground next to a teammate who started to get up, and he told him, just lay here and be still. He'll be back by here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> the great uh, Jerry Clower. Unbelievable. Steve. So um, uh, officiating, referees and officiating and all that has been a hot topic because Commissioner Sankey, really the, the first thing we heard this week on Monday, about 10 minutes on updates and changes and and tweaks and additions and communication that's going to be going on so help us and let's start with where does all that originate from and why is that a topic this week
2: it actually originated in in december back in uh atlanta the commissioner came in and talked to our officials and and as a good leader would do what what do you guys need to get better what resources talk to me so he he engaged our officials right out of the gate and and then it's been a Very busy off season. In addition to what we do is, you know, close out all evaluations, and then we've got camps and clinics. He engaged Deloitte Consulting to come in, and, uh, you know, anytime he comes into your organization, it's like, uh uh-oh. But (laughs) uh, it's actually been a great process. We uh, – they they looked at us from, as I said in the big room, from, you know, opening toss to last whistle – and they've looked at our whole program. There's good news. I mean, they affirmed what we're doing from a selection, a training, an evaluation. And, in fact, you know, we compared very favorably not only to our peers, but they did some international looks and officiating organizations. So all that's good and we can build on. But two things came back that uh, really uh, I think we'll focus on. One is analytics, and that's kind of the new buzzword these days. And we have a lot of data on our officials. I mean, we have calls per game, per crew, per official by position, uh, home team versus visitor, your sideline versus other side. We've got all this data. I think what we want now is analytics to come in and and put – a mathematician view on it and say, what else can we find in there? What Mm. are the nuggets that uh, we need to be aware of? So that'll be happening. But the biggest thing that I think will impact is they said, hey, your communications is really good with your schools, with your coaches, with your athletic directors, some things we can do to bolster that.
1: But, so communication would be the second major thing.
2: Well, communication is really the third. The second, okay. The second was analytics. The okay. first was affirming, you know, our, what we're doing in our I program, which see. is important. I mean, that was important to me. Sure. Uh, but this third part about communications, and, and it's really going to focus on, you know, how do we communicate better to the media? How do we communicate better to fans? And so that's where this, uh, you know, this new website. Uh, this this Twitter, I mean, first of all, let me just tell your listeners, I'm not going to be out here tweeting, okay? <laughs> um, but, uh, as, as I say, I, a- I, I, I will be giving, you know, some bright people that understand that world the geeky officiating language. And, and really our goal is, um, is not only to make sure people understand the rules, philosophies in officiating, uh, mechanics in officiating, and if we have an incorrect call, you know, I'm always very honest with our coaches, and we've got to call it, I think, across all aspects. So you, you've got to be able to stand up and do that. But here's my goal in it. I, I hope that this is a a serious football site. I, I'm not very good at all the creativity that comes. I, I'm certainly not going to try to even engage in that because I I, I would lose. Okay, I, I would lose <laughs> right out of the gate. But if, if the fans want it to, as informational and understanding and and feedback on certain calls, then then I think it'll be a good sign. One, one final thing I'll say, and, 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 and this will be an art, we, we officiated over 19,000 plays last year. Obviously, we're not going to comment on 19,000 plays. Sure. But how do you decide what plays and when? You know, can we do it in game? Can we do it after the game? And so – we're going to be learning as we go what is good, what's helpful to the fans, what makes a difference. And and I would love to say, well, somebody else has mastered it. We're going to follow them. But the NFL is doing it, the NBA, the NHL, you know, Major League Baseball. I mean, a lot of people. But I don't know that anybody has got the perfect sweet
1: spot yet. Sure.
2: And and we're going to learn and grow as, as we work through this.
1: Sure. Um, one of the things that happened last year, and particularly in the state of Mississippi with state fans, is – identifying individual officials that either made bad calls or that they felt like had a conflict because of where they lived or who their family was. There was a guy that, um, who's been a longtime official that, you know, his name's on message boards and on Twitter, and, and is someone who had a family member who maybe played football at Alabama. So there's a lot of questions about the policy for what is a barrier for official A – from calling certain games for certain teams like for instance our friend brad freeman one of the great officials who's now an nfl official you know he was a state athlete at mississippi state on the football team a great baseball player but i don't think he officiated state games right because that was his alma mater correct so so what is that policy for who can officiate which games
2: and and that goes back to our communication so it's it's something that we need to communicate so actually we have now posted our conflict of interest policy online so on that website yes on the website so you can go out there and look at it and and it's the things you would expect you know you can't officiate your alma mater You can't if if you have a son or daughter attending a school. You can't officiate them if you have any financial interest in it. If you're you know if you have a family member that works there, and it's a whole if you played with or for a head coach, Uh um, and, and so we we have never really put that out there. It's out there now, and and so your fans can go see what is our conflict of interest policy, and and really we also put out there you know we want the official to you know kind of self. You know, if if they feel there's any conflict, to put that out there, you know, at the end of the day, the integrity of the program is 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 the top, sure. the top part. I mean, without an integrity base, it doesn't matter what we do on the field. And so, we want the fans to see that. What eliminates a person from that, and 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 then if that's something that through fan feedback or or coach feedback or whatever, we we need to relook at or add to, you know. But you got to go, you know, you go so far down the road because you could say. To, to Brad Freeman, you use him as an example. Great official, um, you know. Well, gosh, Ole Miss is, is a you know a rival of Mississippi State, but so is Alabama, and you know so is LSU, sure. and so so now all of a sudden you have a great official, Brad Freeman, and because he went to school at Mississippi State, well, he can't work he can't work anybody in the conference. Well, yeah. you know he's right. going to go work in Conference USA. So sure. so there has to be limits. And here's the other thing that I would say that I know I would not expect fans to get this, but. You know, guys just don't walk out their first year as an official in the SEC. They they have worked, yeah. you know, a number of years to get to that point. And over that window, you get an official's mindset. You kind of lose your fandom. Yeah. And so we want to protect the official, if nothing else, from putting them in conflicting situations. But I'm going to tell you, our official's at a certain point, you, you become an official. When, when I, I mean, you know, my wife, we, we can be watching an NFL game. It's like, who are you pulling for? And I'm looking at him saying, the officials. And she's like, really? I mean, <laughs> who are you pulling for? And I'm the officials. And, and so you, you really uh, have an officiating mindset, and it's very different. I mean, I watch games today, uh, certainly looking at players, but I'm looking from an official mindset.
1: Sure. Steve Shaw, coordinator of officials for the SEC, on your radio right now. In uh, throughout the state of Mississippi. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, that mindset. As you were talking, Steve, I thought about years ago when I had hair, I started in television. That was my, you know, media. And I called games, uh, did some analyst work for TV games, including some games that didn't involve my alma mater, Mississippi State. And I think in that way, too, yeah, you get in a mindset, well, sure, you can stand there and you can objectively look at two teams, you know, neither one of them is yours. Right. And that kind of thing. Eventually, I kind of got to a point too in that media thing where I started feeling like if I, if if I'm at the game because this is my makeup, I couldn't be an official. I'm not the right kind of person to be an official because when I go, I feel like I'm supposed to be on one side or the other, like I'm supposed to pick a team, you know. And an official just can't do that. So I can understand that from a professional perspective. There's going to come a time where you're just trying to get your job done. And, and and because knowing if I don't, I don't have a job. Right. Just like anything else.
2: And and in our big room today, we talked about accountability. And, and I, I think you know, we get this question all the time, you know, how, do you even evaluate these guys or, or what's the accountability? And the accountability is incredibly high. I mean, not only every week, just like the players, they get a film grade on every play that they officiate. Uh, that film grade, you know, as it builds throughout the season determines, you know, not only their postseason but their future assignments Mm -hmm. And, and then at the end of the year they're like the teams they want to qualify for a bowl but then they want to qualify for the best bowl they can absolutely get and that comes directly through your film grading and then at the end of the year maybe more than you wanted but at the end of the year we we take all their film grades we take an average and then we force rank each official we take every observer and, and this is one of the hardest things. Then we have nine crews, so we have nine referees. They have to force rank every referee one to nine. Wow. And then we take a median score for that. Um, and then we have a, a, a test, an actual rules test that they have to take, that they have a score that goes into it. That they have a mile-and-a-half run. And then they get a coordinator of that. So there's five components that force ranks them in each one of these. Yeah. And that determines do you come back as an official? Do you, What kind of schedule do you get? What crew are you? in and and your bowl assignment
1: that whole you know written test of uh, sitting down and you got to answer all those questions correctly that would be i'd sweat that one yeah you know and i'm an analyst on the radio crew right now for state i'm supposed to know I don't I, – there's no way I'd get 100%. Yeah. I'm going to miss something. And,
2: and, and the rule – and it's almost also like today in, in our big session. So we put clickers in the, the hands of the media. Yeah. How'd and, that go? Well, um, so it was interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> their a- first two plays that we had, they, so they were – they had to judge. that We put them in the replay seat. Okay. Is it targeting? Yes. Or would you overturn this? So the first play, it was 58-42. So, wow. let me just tell you, regardless of what happened on the field, if I'm 58%, then I'm, I'm not going to be here very long, right? Wow. A replay guy's not going to be there very long. Sure. Now, their first two, that was pretty rough. They got better as we went. But we never got over 80%, you know, accuracy in that room. And I get it. that, But, I mean, they, those are guys that are around football. I say guys gender neutral. There were ladies in the audience too. But, sure. um, I mean, they're around. They live in football. And so their football IQ ought to be better than the average fan. Here's what you learn in replay. Everybody thinks replay is easy because back to the sink, you're watching your team. Oh, that's easy. Overturn that. We're going to overturn that. But when you don't have a dog in the hunt, so yeah. to speak, I, I can't use dogs in your situation, <laughs> but um, if you don't have a team you have a rooting interest for, all of a sudden you're sitting in a replay seat and it becomes a hot seat. Sure. These calls are difficult. So we we didn't anticipate them You know, getting 90% or whatever, but it, it reinforces that this is a hard job yeah, sure. and it it's takes hard. a lot of work, a lot of training to get it right. And the expectation that we're held to is, is very, very high. And and so from that expectation, they didn't pass. But they got better as we went along. Uh, but it, it shows you this is a hard job. Yeah. And these are hard calls.
1: Well, and especially field level, you know, that viewpoint. At, from a football analysis standpoint, we're talking about players and plays and everything. That's one thing I try to get across a lot is that things look so much different field level than they do 50 rows up or, or from camera. You mentioned replay. Steve Shaw, coordinator of officials for the SEC. Does replay, the advent of it, the presence of it, does it ever um, speed up uh, in a bad way? Uh, uh, the the um, let, me, let me get this out right. Does it ever speed an official up mentally when we're waiting on this call, we're waiting on replay to happen, they're talking about it and centralized, and we're sitting here and everybody in the stadium is looking at me wanting to call. Is it a bad thing in that the presence of replay can almost speed up the decision-making more than it needs to be?
2: Well, here's what we've learned with collaborative replay. E- everybody's fear with collaborative replay was, oh, man, you're bringing more people in, it's going to take forever. And actually it has sped the process up. So we we have a whole group that are looking at keep the game moving. You know, the fans yeah, want right. it moving. We'll keep this thing going. And it's not as much how long it takes. It's just, especially if you're in the stadium, it's, we want action going. We, want, we don't want dead time. Sure. And yeah. we've really focused on that. But I think that what we've done in collaborative replay has been so positive from two perspectives. Number one, you know, forget the time aspect of it. That's important. Uh, Trust me when I'm dealing with my commissioner, the time we, we want accuracy, but we want it to be, you know, handled efficiently. Um, But the two things that collaborative replay has done, number one it's given us consistency, consistency that we need uh, from replay. But second, it helps us avoid the dreaded incorrect outcome. Um, Because when you have multiple, minds looking at it you know somebody's going to catch something somebody's going to you know and we're adding a component this year um commissioner mentioned it in his talk so we're going to have a monitor at the sideline for the referee we've done this in some bowl games we've tried it out but now for every game the referee will actually be when they put their headset on they're going to be looking at a monitor now it's still the replay officials responsibility to make these still
1: centralized replay makes the final decision well
2: actually by rule the replay official in the stadium has the responsibility. He's the only one that's technically allowed to overturn a call. Okay. But in collaboration with we'll our, our, okay. our video center. But the referee is going to be looking at it, and this goes back to communications. The primary reason we d- we're doing this is to give that referee you know, a good visual so he can – when he turns his microphone on, he can express, you know, why we're overturning or whatever because so, see. he's seen it. Because he's watched it. But also when the coach says, how did they overturn that? Today, because he can't see it. You know, he may sneak a peek at the trying or whatever. But the reality is he's like, I, you know, replay had a good view. I don't know. That's not a good answer to the coach. Now he'll be able to say, hey, coach, you had a great end zone, an, you know, angle. The ball hit the ground. The ball moved. The ball bobbled out. Whatever it is. The communication to the coach will be so much better, so I think this will help us overall and and there is that nice thing because I have you know I, all of our officials know the rules, but our referees are are kind of over the top with it yeah yeah, and so if something happens to start go down a wrong path, I think the replay could rein it I mean the referee could rein it in very quickly, but their job is not to make the decision, but I think this will help them with communication
1: Steve Shaw, coordinator of officials He's got like two minutes left so. I had this hypothetical I threw out last week. It's just a thought. And I know that you're not in the business of talking about hypotheticals. But I just said, I I know we want games to go quicker. But the most important place to me involves the goal line? Scoring plays. Touchdowns, two points. So, if it's a scoring play that involves a goal line, why wouldn't we consider everything about that play is reviewable? Even a flag thrown. And I know holding is the thing we can't – is that a crazy idea? Or does it ju- would it just strictly slow down every scoring play too much if we give a coach one challenge the same way we do now?
2: So the coach can use his challenge anytime. But let me just tell you on scoring plays. Now, there are limits in the replay, and, and judgment calls are not in there. But if you'll actually watch – so do this at your next game. Every scoring play, replay, will they have to confirm the score. That doesn't oh. mean they're going to stop the game. They don't want to stop and draw. But, you know, in some plays, or you know, the guy just runs across the goal line. But if you'll watch, the referee will get between the snapper and the holder, okay. and he will stand there, and he's got his little O-to-O, the official-to-official, and they will tell him, okay, we're all clear, you can go. And, and then if they, can't, if they can't confirm it very quickly, then they'll stop the game and then look at it. Okay. But everyone is. But, you know, it's an interesting, intriguing thought you have about a judgment call And, as you know, the NFL is going to move down that path with offensive and defensive pass interference. We were in a non-rule change year, so only player safety changes. So, we're going to get the luxury of watching what happens with them. Uh, It's going to be an interesting – I'm not going to call it an experiment because they're committed in. But what fans, I think, want is when they see something that happened in the New Orleans game, that's a crazy pass interference, you know, flagrant. We want that. But now, when you open it up, if you get a little – hand pin, if you get a little tug on the, the belt loop, it's pass interference. Yeah. So where where do you draw the line? What become, In replay, because you see so much more in replay, where are you going to draw that line? I think that's going to be what we watch the NFL solve as they go through the year, and sure. then hopefully we can leverage off of what they learn.
1: Sure. Out of time, it's always great. Time goes by quickly, Steve, when we get to talk to you every year. Um, next time around, whenever that is, I'd love to bounce the idea, the whole, you know, is it even feasible, this whole full-time official thing, you know, the NFL kind of moving away and all that. But that's for another day.
2: That's for another day, but always appreciate being with you, hey, Matt. Hey,
1: my pleasure. Thank you so much. Steve Absolutely. Shaw, coordinator of officials for the Southeastern Conference. Uh, he's been a busy man this week up and down Radio Row, as well as upstairs uh, in the big room at the podium. Also today, earlier today, they had a media session where um, they put plays up on the video board, Uh, some targeting situations, things like that, and gave the media the responsibility to make the call one way or the other. And as you heard, they got a little better throughout, but at the beginning they were pretty bad. (laughs) Just like they are at picking the uh, SEC champion. We'll talk about that. Just getting started with you, Mississippi State is here. We're going to hear from Joe Moorhead coming up. SEC Media Days coverage brought to you by High Point Roasters in New Albany. Stick around.
3: You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.
2: Granger.com or stop by for all things safety. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
1: Hey, hey, back on the show, live from SEC Media Days, day three here in Hoover, Alabama, at the Hyatt Regency Winfrey Hotel connected to the Galleria Mall. Y'all know where we are? Is that a big enough description for you? It's all the truth. And here we sit, day three, and uh, to my left in the lobby, there is a, there's a throng of people inside a roped off area, kind of like a circle, like a bull ring, and in the middle of the bull ring are somewhere in the neighborhood of about seventy-five loud, obnoxious, painted up Alabama fans. And they've been they've been sitting there. Play me that sound clip, Roger. Which one? The We Love Him, the girl at the airport. Oh well give me a second. Uh yeah. She may even be up there for all I know. Oh
2: God, we love him. Yeah, we balling, baby. We (laughs) balling.
1: He's got a lot of energy. A lot of energy. There's a bunch of them up there like that. There's one Alabama fan in the middle of all of them who is standing up and every now and then leading a cheer. If you want to see what that is a little bit like, I don't know if y'all can hear that. You know, hear that? They're doing it again down there. Yeah. You hear that? Listen to them. They're down there hooting and hollering. Either Tua or Nick Saban is somebody like that's coming down the escalator. And cameras are following them around, and the fans are cheering. Anyway, that's what the scene we have going on here. So it's Mississippi State Day, but it's also Bama Day. If you want to see what it looks like, I have a clip on my Twitter feed, at Radio Wyatt. You can see what that looks like, at Radio Wyatt. Is Saban the headliner today? He's kind of the headliner, and he's in the morning. So you had Arkansas and Alabama this morning, so Jeremy Pruitt, Nick Saban. Then uh, in the afternoon you got uh, Joe Moorhead, and Will Muschamp, South Carolina. Nick I don't Saban. Really care about that. It, it's the so funny. Conversation. Roger, you just played that, and literally he's uh, Nick Saban five feet in front of me. He's walking down into the Galleria Mall to do an interview with somebody. He's got about eight photographers with him, about three security guards, and he doesn't need any of it. So he's the one that they scream for. This was uh, about, oh, five minutes ago upstairs, Nick Saban talking. I can get this thing to play for you here. Um, Yeah, anyway, make a long story short, he he, uh, was giving a speech up there as if to say that uh, that's a team that can win a national championship this year, and he knows that. But they asked him about last year. I'll play some of it for you in a bit if I can get it going. They asked him about that last year, and he – Mentioned It sounded almost like a little bit of an excuse, the fact that he had coaches at the end of the year who were looking for other jobs and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, in fact, it's no excuse at all. Clemson just kind of whipped their butts out there in that championship game, <laughs> and that's the truth of it. Um, yeah. No, uh, yes, Nick Saban here today. Um, you have Chad Morris from Arkansas. And in the afternoon session, which doesn't actually start until – About an hour from right now, at least the schedule anyway, is when Joe Moorhead and Mississippi State will begin going through all the interview stuff. And uh, in just a bit, Brett Hudson is actually upstairs kind of working for us here on the show. He's going to head up there and uh, grab a one-on-one interview with Coach Joe Moorhead, and then we'll try to get that uh, for you here on the show because what's happening, again, as I've told you all week, Radio Row has us on the first floor of the hotel Um, all the kind of scheduled and mandatory interview stuff for coaches and players upstairs on the second floor. As I understand it, according to their schedule, the state guys, Moorhead and Errol Thompson for Rod Green, Darrell Williams, the players, are probably not arriving here to the hotel uh, for another 15 minutes, I think. They're going to get here about 1245. They'll kind of go to a a holding room upstairs. I say holding, it's just a room. They'll go in there and. Kind of sit around and wait until everything starts for them at around 1.30. A lot of it is geared around television, and uh, you know, in terms of the radio row thing, uh, we talk with them, and I kind of understand if you if you run that coach down here on radio row before his schedule stuff starts upstairs. You know, what happens is a lot of people grab them. You know, they'll walk through. Hey, can I get you to sit down for a minute? And that's not always the best thing. Um, so uh, that's kind of what we're looking at. One of the uh, things that I want you to know about, if you just tuned in, you might have missed. We began the show today talking with Steve Shaw, the coordinator of officials for the SEC. I'm going to make that available for you via podcast, certainly. going to make that available for you coming up. And th- that was an enlightening conversation. They are doing some things here in the SEC that they have not done in years past going to communicate a little more online and via social media about uh, calls that are made in games, situations, try to, you know, uh, add that bit of transparency to it. Also, with that website, secsports.com slash officiating, you'll be able to go there as a fan and kind of read. If you're curious about how they choose officials, if you're curious about a certain rule, you'll be able to go there and get some of that information yourself. So, trying to kind of Open it up just a little bit and let everybody see the same stuff. We talked about that and some other things. And if you missed it, I'll make sure you get it. All right. You can be a part of the show. Lots of different ways to do that. Number one, call me on the Davini Equipment phone line. Davini Equipment in Madison and in Jackson. Your Kubota dealer, the number one Kubota dealer, the oldest Kubota dealer in the United States of America right here at home. They've been doing it better longer than anybody else right there at Davini On the Davini phone, uh, James calling in today as we are live in hoover james what's up
0: hey what's going on matt
1: not much man just talking season uh, that's what it is
0: (laughs) i see that ain't too much football going on but man i uh i feel like i'm on the odd side of of the conversation because Yesterday I was listening to a show and they were talking about how bad the uh, transfer portal is. Hmm. Uh, I I think that's a good thing because Jane or uh, Matt, I don't know if you played college football. I played college football, and I'll tell you the the only uh, profession where lying is more encouraged than used car dealers and lawyers would be. <laughs> college football coaches, <laughs> and, and and they'll, they'll recruit you, man, and they'll say, uh, you know, you're going to start, you're going to be our star player, and then you get there, and there's three guys in your position that are all bigger than you and faster than you, and you look around, and you're like, well, geez, I could have gone to this place, and I could have started, like, for sure, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I love the transfer portal. I feel um, like if a, if a player.
1: James, James, where did you play? Do you mind telling me? Uh,
0: I played for Alcorn State University.
1: Okay, so you played at Alcorn. Uh, hey, and I will tell you, you know, one of the things about this transfer portal that is a, a talking point is the idea that, you know, players at Division two and Division One AA schools, a lot of those that are really good uh, and show that on the field are going to have the opportunity, as they say, to portal up and go up to Division I schools and and play that last year or two years, sometimes that's going to happen. Listen, James, I agree with you. I I don't have a problem with it at all Um, because, look, I'm an SEC fan, right? Now, my school is Mississippi State, but also have a great affinity for the whole league. And the thing about it is, you know, that's what I pay attention to. And, you know, the SEC, one of five Power Five conferences, kind of the Power Five conference, And so there is no shortage. For for the Power 5 schools, there's simply no shortage of players available to you who, number one, are good enough to play for you, and number two, want to. There are plenty of them out there. So if Alabama or Georgia or State or Ole Miss or somebody has a player leave in the transfer portal, there's plenty of guys to go get and recruit to fill that spot. And – it's just, it's going to be a forever thing. You're right. Coaches are salesmen. They're selling their program. They're doing what's best for them. In recruiting kids and families, you got to look at what is your priority. If it's playing time, go find a place for playing time. If it's playing for a certain school, do that. You kind of have to look out for your own butt in recruiting when you're a player family. Thanks for your call, James. I got to run. No Pre- appreciate it. James calling on the Divinity Equipment phone. More coverage live from Hoover. Presented by High Point Roasters Coffee in New Albany, right here in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around.
3: You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.
1: Back on the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio, Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. You, listen, with Farm Bureau, you get to deal with somebody one-on-one, a local agent that you know personally. They know you. You exchange phone numbers. It's, it's the way it ought to be because you don't know when you're going to have to make that phone call. You're going to have that fender bender or the water heater is going to blow up or something happens, you know, or the tree falls into the house. And you need to be able to get in touch. You, don't, you can't wait until, you know, Monday morning on a Saturday night, wait till Monday morning, call some 800 number. And you don't have to do that with Farm Bureau. One-on-one local agents who are your hometown heroes, that is Farm Bureau. One of my heroes, Dan the Coffee Man from High Point Roasters in New Albany, and he's helping us make this happen this week. Y'all check him out, highpointroasters.com. Listen, it's not just a sales pitch. The best coffee you can get your hands on in the state of Mississippi. And I mean it, and I drink it every single morning. I put uh, that New Albany blend, I put the beans in a grinder, grind it up, put it in that French press, and that's what I start the day with every day from High Point Roasters in New Albany. Roger, uh, i got to put my ADD to work here in just a sec. So Nick Saban's sitting down here talking to some folks, uh, a couple tables over. Steve Shaw. The coordinator of officials is still here also. He's uh, making the rounds. He talked with us earlier. And so in a minute, I'm trying to get a camera shot of uh, Nick Saban walking by, but I'm going to have to do it while we are live on the radio. Unnatural
0: you know, pause.
1: We don't know what's going on. <laughs> Did you call it an unnatural pause? Is that what you said it was? Well, you know, something that may be a pregnant pause. <laughs> I've always an heard awkward, that term. I've yeah. always heard pregnant pause, and I hate that term. I just hate it. <laughs> just on its <laughs> – on its face, I hate it. Here's what I'm going to do for you, though. Nick Saban, uh, he's sitting over here about five minutes ago. He's upstairs answering questions and stuff like that. Here's a little bit of that.
3: Talent. Uh, it's going to be very challenging and uh, always difficult to play on the road in this league, so... Um it's going to be important that our players do their very best to get where we need to be to reach our full potential as a team and do it uh, on a consistent basis uh, throughout the entire season. So uh, I'd like to thank you know, each and every one of you uh, for what you do to create a lot of interest uh, and a lot of positive self-gratification. Uh, for our players uh, and college football. I think it's important to the fans that um, they have the kind of access that you provide in terms of information, knowledge uh, and I think uh, that's very important to continue to be able to promote the game on the level that you do um, for the welfare of college football and also the welfare of the players who play it. Any questions?
1: Thank you coach. If you have a question raise your hand again we
0: ask you to stand and give your name and affiliation. Um, We're going to start right here in the center, in the middle. Please stand and give your name and affiliation.
3: Uh, Steven Smith, uh, touchdown, Alabama. There's a
1: pregnant pause right there.
3: Coach, (laughs) happy to hip surgery. Well for you. Uh, my question to you is: Alabama, in the last couple of years, they've had strong quarterback play with Tua Tagovailoa and uh, Jalen Hurts. You've had Bang, that you've had, not just Tannock.
1: Don't you love hey, well, these guy's not on the radio? Don't you love the long qualifying question? I mean. <laughs> Hey, let me tell hey, you how much I know. Let me tell you yeah. how much I know about your team, Coach. Uh, I'll get to my question tomorrow. to be in a situation you feel comfortable with Mac Jones. We have a host on this network. Though.
3: Right. Well, Mac has made a lot of improvements. Uh, he's re- matured very nicely uh, at the position. I think he's a very bright guy. He's got good knowledge of the position. Um, you know, Mac's a very emotional guy. So uh, we like to try to get guys to play with emotion but not be emotional. Uh, because sometimes when you get too emotional, you don't make good decisions, and um, that's one of the things that we worked really hard, and he's made um, a lot of progress in that area. Um, And, you know, his consistency and performance has been very, very good. He did get to play some last year, so this is not going to be totally foreign to him if he has to go in a game and play, and uh, hopefully we'll have good enough players around him that... Um, it will help him have a chance to succeed. But we've been pleased with his progress. We're confident uh, that he's capable. Uh, It's our job to be able to get him to a point where he has enough consistency to be able to go in there and play if we need him to. Coach will stay in this front section in the third row right in front of us. Pregnant pause. Jeffrey Winborn with the Daily Mountain Eagle. After the loss to Clemson last season in the national championship, Is that something that you or the
2: other leaders in the locker room are using as motivation or an example to get back to the standard you were speaking
3: of? Well, I I think that uh, if you're a great competitor and you um, are in a game like we were for the national championship and you didn't perform very well and uh, given all the credit to the other team who beat us and took advantage of the opportunities that they have not to take anything away from them, uh, but if you're a competitor, you're going to respond uh, in a positive way, and learn from the things that you didn 't do, whether those things were in preparation, um, game day decisions, um, you know the habits that you created leading up to the game, uh, the second half of the season, you know all those things contribute to are we going to be able to have success against one of the best teams or the best team in the country and we obviously didn 't do that that 's my responsibility, but uh, I think that Our players learned a lot from that experience. Uh, I think that um, we didn't play with the discipline at the end of the season that we'd like to have as a team. Uh, I don't think that our preparation um, so that we could win a game and be very responsible and accountable to do our job at a high level on a consistent basis uh, was what it needed to be. And, um, you know, whether or not People were worried about personal outcomes more than they were team outcomes. Uh, It's always hard to judge that, but it seems like we had a lot of distractions at the end of the year. So hopefully we learn from those scenarios and that will help us do the things that we need to do to be able to, um, you know, play to our full potential uh, throughout the season.
1: All right, I want to stop on that comment. That resonated with me and with a lot of people. Nick Saban. Uh, just a few minutes ago in front of the microphone upstairs, asked that question, and he he took an opportunity there at the end of that comment to mention um, people on the team whether, you know, making themselves or personal priorities versus the team priorities or, you know, some things like that. He, He did not specify whether he's talking about coaches on the staff who might have been looking to bounce and go become a head coach and things like that, or whether he's talking about a a player or players. but And it could be both for all we know. I just know that one of the writers over here in Alabama who's covering this and was upstairs, and he put that little uh, exchange or that comment on Twitter. Um, and, and, and the thing is Nick Saban actually reiterated that. Later, in a comment to Paul Feinbaum, and they recorded that, what he said in that scenario was, again, the same thing. People, like, looking at themselves versus looking at the team. And in, in that context, some people thought that he was maybe talking about coaches. So he goes, when the season started, I think we were great, but when we won the LSU game, it seemed people's own agendas started to become more important. And then Feinbaum asked him, coaches or players, and he responded, coaching. We had a lot of guys who wanted to be head coaches at different places. It takes a special person to stay focused on what they have to do. Now, when they have jobs somewhere else, it's awaiting them, and they have a responsibility on staffs. I'm not being critical of those people. It's just very challenging. That's the comment from Nick Saban. And, you know, what i'm having a hard time with is you know that that may very well be true that it was a challenging thing for uh mike loxley who left to go be what uh, the maryland coach i guess and, and you know maybe others and maybe it was challenging but it also sounded like a a tad bit of an excuse um for not being focused and and sure it's almost like as the head coach pointing directly to assistant coaches on last year's staff for the reason that they did not play well at the end of last season. It's, a, it's very, very much a departure from the messaging and things that you've seen from Nick Saban in the past. It comes across as like a little bit of an excuse for why you lost to Clemson. Nobody debates that Clemson out-prepared and outcoached Alabama leading up to and in that championship game. That's obvious. But here today at Media Days, this is Nick Saban, their head coach, pointing to last year's assistant coaches or a handful or one or two. He's not, he's not pointing the finger necessarily at himself. He's pointing it at his assistant coaches. You know, maybe Nick Saban can do that because he's established what he is as a head coach. But the, the general idea is that, number one, you don't make excuses, and number two, as a head coach, everything is your responsibility. If you have an assistant coach who's not handling his responsibilities, that's a reflection on you as the head coach. If you have a player who's not, you know, doing what he's supposed to do, it's your responsibility as a head coach and that's what comes along with being the head coach and making 10 million dollars a year it's just interesting to me that he would do that I, you know and i don't know maybe it's more of a sending a message through the media to the people that they have hired to be on their staff this year you know he's done that with his players before but anyway i find the whole thing interesting all right so hour number one in the books you heard that from nick saban During hour number two, live in about half an hour, Joe Moorhead's going to take the podium upstairs, and we'll tune into that. And more coming up. Live from Hoover, SEC Media Days in the Farm Bureau Studio. Stick around.
3: You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show.